Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, March 7th, 2018. Gonna do a pirate gang conversation today. We haven't done one of these in a while. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically. Help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for us to consume is far from biblical. And this has a a very, very, very serious after effect, uh, impact, if you would, on those who are buying into these false doctrines. And that's really the segue into today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. It's been a while since we've had a pirate gang conversation, and that's with uh, me, uh, Stephen Kozar, and Amy Spreeman. And uh, we today uh, met earlier via Skype. And by the way, we're going to make the video of this available on our YouTube channel. It's going to take us a couple of days to kind of mix everything down. But uh, we're going to put this up as kind of a co-thing here, a podcast as well as a YouTube video. And we're discussing about how not to shipwreck your faith. And the idea is, is that as goofy as these doctrines are that we cover here at Fighting for the Faith, and some of the stuff we cover is really bizarro. But if you think back to stuff that we've covered over the past few days and even last week, you know, over and again, people being told that, you know, they have a unique destiny, uh, uh, you know, that something they're supposed to do you know, to change the world or that God, you've got to dream this God-sized dream and all this nonsense. That ends up having a profound negative impact. And literally, the majority of the people who f- who believe that this is what God wants them to do they end up on the skids and a large portion of them lose their faith but the problem is they weren't they didn't have faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins they literally shipwrecked their faith through this blasphemy 
of believing that this is what God would have us believe, because that's what it is. It's blasphemy. So uh, without any further ado, let's get to it. Here's the uh, the conversation I had earlier today with Amy Spreeman and Stephen Kozar as we talk about how not to shipwreck your faith. Here we go. Hi, guys. Good to see you. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. All right. So we're all together here. And, uh, you know, sink or swim, we're going to be talking about how to not shipwreck your faith. And to kind of frame the conversation, uh, yesterday, uh, both of you published uh, blog posts that I thought were uh, really fantastic you know, as ways of talking about this uh, topic. Uh, Steve, your uh, uh, blog post, A Hyper-Charismatic Guide to Losing Your Mind, uh, I think would be a great topic to have. And then, Amy, you, uh, how, how Abandoning Sola Scriptura uh, Shipwrecks Your Faith. These are really kind of intimately uh, locked concepts. And so uh, this will be uh, framing our, our conversation. But let's start with you, Steve. Uh, your hyper-charismatic guide to losing your mind. By the way, you have the gift of writing really strange uh, blog post headings. So, yeah. Sometimes I, I actually think of the title first. I have a rough idea for an article, and I, I always want to give it a title that causes people to really want to read it, mm-hmm. which I know bothers some people <clears throat> because – I know that we need to be scholarly. We need to be accurate. We we don't want to be sensationalistic just to get hits. I understand all that. But there's a part of me that says, yeah, but if nobody reads what I write, what's the point? I, I got a lot of other things I could be doing. So I'm always trying to phrase things in a clever way that makes people go, well, I wonder what that's about, with the hope that they'll read it and it'll be really, really helpful. Right. So let me – I had to preface that. So. I, I do use silly or wacky titles, but there's a real strategy behind that. And and this one, um, there's a bunch of stuff that's interesting about it because, honestly, the original Pentecostal movement did not have the dream destiny thingy as a core component. Right. But we see we see different movements uh, merging and different ideas are being uh, overlapped with each other so that it's really hard to say what kind of church is what anymore. And this idea that God... Uh, primarily is interested in your earthly life and your earthly success and your earthly happiness has invaded all of the churches. And I think that maybe the most dangerous place is when it enters into this hyper charismatic world where now you're seeking after a mystical connection with God because you're going to get something that you don't currently have. And the key component that starts my article, it starts this whole train wreck is God wants you to have faith, and he wants you to show your faith. He wants you to exercise your faith. Um, And how do you do that? You do something that doesn't make any sense, that's risky, something that only God can solve. So you basically create a problem for yourself in a way. You give away too much money. You you go off and do something that you're not capable of doing. You begin a project you have no way of completing. And then the idea is, well, that's when God's going to just step right in and make it happen for you. And it doesn't work. That's right. not what God promises. That's not what Christianity is all about. Yeah. Uh, but it really does shipwreck people's faith. You know, you're right. Um, and, and what's funny is, is that not only is this idea of a dream destiny, like a, a form of scratching, itching ears, it's a false doctrine regarding Christian sanctification, but it puts people kind of into a very predictable bad spot. So the idea is, the hook generally is, come to our church. Have you ever wondered what you were made for? Why are you even here on earth? 
And so the promise is that uh, by coming to this church and participating in worship and making a decision for Jesus and things like that, the next step after you've crossed the uh, the finish line of faith is kind of how they talk about it, is that you you need to learn how to hear the voice of God. And once you learn how to hear the voice of God, he's going to whisper into your ear the the very specific purpose or you know or dream that he has for your life and then oh. it's in in and they always tell you you can tell that it's really from god if uh if it's too big for you to do you know it, it, you know if you can do it on your own you don't need god for it and that's not really exactly. your purpose or whatever and so risk taking in fulfilling your specific purpose is is a big aspect of this but over and again you know the noticeable thing that happens is is that then people get stuck you know uh, you know on the road to fulfilling their purpose you know there they are you know trying to learn how to become the world's greatest opera singer so that people will be brought you know the, you know revival will start when you're singing you know <laughs> ave maria but um the, but the idea then is is that you 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 experience you know you know things that get in your way and then predictably, the next thing is, is you hear over and again that, that God is releasing breakthroughs and things like this. But you're going to yeah. note then that this all, you know, like Amy's uh, article really points out, is an abandoning then of Sola Scriptura. How does Sola Scriptura then play into this uh, debunking of this idea that you have a God-sized dream? Uh, let's talk about that, Amy. Well, and, you know, going back to what Steve said, I remember uh, the first time I ever heard one of those inspiring sermons to dream big, um, we weren't talking about scripture at all, or maybe a few plucked out of context. We were talking about, you know, what kind of things should you be doing for God? And if you're not doing them, um, then you're not living up to your end of the bargain. And at the time, my husband and I thought, well, we want to do big things for God. Of course we do. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do things for God. However, um, what this kind of thinking leads to is taking risks, uh, and you'll see it all over Steve's article, where you do end up losing your mind. And uh, for my husband and I, uh, we heard one of these in, in 2008, and we ended up both thinking that we heard God tell us to sell our house so that we'd have more money to sow into the kingdom. And uh, I, I, looking back now, think that's probably not what we were supposed to do because we sat on the market for two years and um, ended up making some mistakes along the way. So um, how did we know that that's what we were supposed to do? Well, um, A, we heard it in a sermon, so it must be right, because that's how the Holy Spirit's going to um, you know, convict us, right? And secondly, we put out a fleece, and I don't even want to tell you what we used for a fleece. <laughs> you, you just yeah. don't want to know that. It's, it might cause someone to stumble. Um, but then we had this um, real peace about it, and that peace that you're, you have about this plan that you can't do but God can is supposed to be an affirmation that oh, maybe this really is from God because I feel so peaceful about it. I'm just going to let go and let God. So uh, this has nothing to do with scripture. But at the time we were going through this, the, the emphasis uh, really wasn't on scripture as our authority. And so yeah. once you lose that authority of scripture, um, you really can go nilly willy all over the place, which is exactly what we did. And uh, thank heavens, uh, the Lord brought us back to his word. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, yeah, by the way, just as a little bit of a reminder, nowhere in Scripture are we taught that God is going to whisper into your ear 
uh, what right. your unique dream, destiny, or purpose is. I did a lecture uh, you know, this summer, uh, both in Australia and here in the United States, that God did not create you for a purpose. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, plural, and um, and you know these were prepared for you to do before the foundation of the earth. And then the, the basic question then is, what is a good work? And what I find fascinating is um, that the emphasis of the dream destiny thingy or the purpose that you have really ends up getting you to be quite worldly-minded rather than uh, uh, attuned to the needs of your neighbor. And, uh, and it, you know, as a kind of a bouncing point, if you would, is um, in Matthew 13, Jesus gives a parable of the different soils. And in the parable of the different soils, he, he talks about the different things that choke out the Word of God and the riches of this world, the cares of this world, all of those things are the things that really make the word unfruitful. And yet it's these messages regarding the dream destiny, God-sized dream thingy that uh, that gets you really worldly-minded uh, and really focusing in all, a lot of times on prosperity and influence and affluence, but yeah. all for the purpose of extending the kingdom. See, God doesn't mind if I'm prosperous as long as I use my prosperity to bless others. So it's okay for me to pursue wealth and riches. But that that's a I mean that is a guaranteed way that Jesus says will literally choke out the word and and uh and yep. make make the word of God unfruitful in your life. You want to talk about that for a minute, Steve? Yeah, well, um many of you know maybe some of you don't. I'm a painter for a living. I'm a really really good uh hyper-realist painter. Go to stephencozar.com. I'm a really good painter. And in my field, in my narrow field, I'm one of the best in the world in my particular thing. And um <clears throat> Honestly, I expect to die and nothing really big to happen because of my art. Maybe 100 years from now, somebody will start something that says, you know, Kozar wasn't recognized during his lifetime. He was a really good painter, whatever. I'll be dead. It, it doesn't matter. But when I was in my 20s, uh, young man, young Christian, ambitious, a little bit arrogant, a little bit self-focused, like every single young man who's ever walked the face of the earth. I, I thought that God was going to use my ability to become successful as an artist to somehow build his kingdom. Mm -hmm. As if God doesn't know what to do until I become an artist and become successful and get this platform. And it's a, it's a whole series of theological ideas that kind of work together to create this, this bad idea. Now, if some people do become successful, fine. That's, it's not that you can never become successful. But it's this idea that you have to become successful and prominent and famous. Oh, and it also helps to be wealthy so that you can then go out and have an impact is really undermining the actual gospel message. The gospel message doesn't require anybody to be wealthy or famous or powerful or any of those things. It's yep. just something that we tell to our friends and neighbors. That's all we do is we tell the gospel message and God's word and, and Holy Spirit works through God's word to do all the work. So for me, I... Um, I feel like I wasted a lot of time focusing on myself and my career and trying to have a big impact when all I really needed to do to have a big impact was just be a member of my church and explain the gospel message to anybody I had a chance to share it with and to just live an ordinary life. And if God chose to make me really successful, fine. If not, that's fine. You know, I'm just making a living. And I, I, I'm, I'm 54 now, and... Having looked back on my whole adult life, I wish I would have heard that simple message 
much more clearly spoken to me when I was younger to say, you know what, Kozar, you think you're a big deal. You think you're going to be a, 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 you know, big hotshot. Maybe you will, but you know what? Honestly, you probably won't. Mm-hmm. And it's by the grace of God that you won't become a big deal. Because if you did become a big deal, it would go to your head and you'd become a bigger jerk than you already are. Which is the message I needed somebody to tell me. Because that's exactly what the reality is. When we become famous and successful and influential, 99 times out of 100, it turns us into a little bit of a monster. Yeah. So I know I'm on a tangent here, but I think this idea of... um it goes back to what we've talked about before, the seven mountain mandate, which says that God can't really operate in the world unless we're really successful and we, we enter into some sphere of influence and we become, you know, really popular and famous. How many Christians have gone to Hollywood or into the music industry and have actually lost their faith as a result? Mm-hmm. They didn't change the music industry. The music industry changed them. It's happened a, yes. a million times. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that goes along with that is um, the whole purpose-driven movement, uh, which really started long before uh, Rick Warren got a hold of of it. Uh, But really, how do you tell what your purpose is? How do I know what God's will is for my life? And I personally wish I would have heard um, scripture verses such as I know, first, uh, Thessalonians, first Thessalonians 4.11, for instance, telling us to work with our hands, live peacefully, quiet life, minding your own business. I never heard that. Um, but one of the things that you hear is, well, possibly God gives you passions in your life, and that's what you're supposed to um, go and pursue and make it big, make it something that only God could do. Um, and, and so, you know, I have a passion for writing. I do that now. But I was thinking that maybe I was supposed to be a famous author or something. And um, thank heavens I'm not. <laughs> so, right. um, but, you know, a lot of it comes from um, the new age, too. Um, so long before I heard about the NAR, the new apostolic reformation, um, the new age, uh, spiritual formation and all that was coming in. And uh, the article that I wrote and posted uh, yesterday about how uh, we're shipwrecking our faith because um, we've abandoned Sola Scriptura. Actually, I uh, spoke with uh, Ken Silva a few years ago, 2012 now, about mysticism and, and what was happening with that, how, where it came from. And, you know, you, you get these, the authors like like this, um, this came from my shelf of shame, oh, uh, yeah. Awakening Your Life's Purpose. We've all, you know, we know who that guy is, the I Oprah guy. I remember when that book was the featured book on Oprah. That was the big, yeah, yeah that, that's going back a few years, though. Yeah, and it's not even biblical Christianity, but a lot of professing believers grabbed onto that and said, oh, yeah, we've got to find out our purpose. What does God want us to do and how can we make it big? Uh, of course, we'll give him the glory, but we'll keep the money kind of thing. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's such a, a contrast, though, uh, the difference between the spiritual transformation that happens when the Holy Spirit actually does the work in us. Uh, you know, we're abiding in Christ. We're reading his word and the Holy Spirit changes us and gives us a new heart. Uh, he sanctifies us. And the whole spiritual formation movement that swept through uh, churches, you know, years ago and is still, unfortunately, influencing churches, telling you that you need to, you know, the Bible's really nice and everything, but you need to make that relationship much more intimate with God. And so you need to do these um, ancient rituals and have these habits every day so that you can reach this higher level of consciousness. And uh, that's how you connect with God and hear him speaking to you. And boy, this became so huge in the seeker movement that uh, I can't tell you, it's, it's changed a lot of people. And where are they now? Well, 
lot of them uh, have abandoned the faith, unfortunately. They've gone the uh, way of the Henry world. Henry Blackaby, Richard Foster, yes. I think are probably the two biggest guys who have entered the mainstream of evangelicalism. And yeah. they've given the message of it's not just about uh, Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's that's way off in the distance. Yeah. That's not even a really important thing. What's important is that God wants you to go out into the world and make a difference, and he wants to have this intimate connection with you. All these things about our earthly life that have uh, really gotten a lot of people off track. Um, yeah, and, 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 so, and it's an off-trackness, if that's a word, uh, based on, on the uh, focus. You know, so here here's the idea is is that you're going to know over and again that these alternative understandings of finding your purpose and stuff like that have you obsessed about you. You obsess about you. How far along am I in achieving this destiny? Me, 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 me. Yeah. Whereas scripture, when you read uh, like the back ends of Paul's epistles, over and again, we are admonished to good works. There's a, there's a funny thing that shows up in the list, and that is slaves. You know, you know. So the the scriptures have a lot to tell slaves as far as how they do their good works. And are you ready? Slaves do their good works by obeying their masters as if their master was Jesus Christ. Nowhere in Scripture are do you see slaves told that you're going to experience your breakthrough and you're going to break out of slavery and you're going to go and change the world. Uh, instead, they are assured that the work that they're doing, even though they don't even own themselves, that the work that they are doing is pleasing to Christ and that he is the one who accepts their good works in their vocation as slaves as being done unto him. And so, you know, when you throw that into the mix, it's like, I don't think you can get any more demeaning than being a slave and more ordinary and earthy than being a slave because slaves don't do the sexy work. Slaves do the grunt work. Slaves do the the house cleaning, the the weed pulling, the, you know, the hard labor, the rock crushing and nonsense like that. And all of that is accepted by Christ as good works, and we are told that those are good works that, that Christ has prepared before the foundation of the earth. And what that ends up doing is making it so that the slave, rather than focusing in on the slave, oh, it's so terrible, I'm a slave, I don't want to be a slave anymore, I want to change the world. No, the slave sits there and goes, all right, I'm going to focus on the needs of my master and and note that Scripture says that by doing that, I'm serving Christ. So now he's got an outward focus. Whereas all this purpose stuff, all this dream destiny stuff, it's all about me, 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 me. And what I find fascinating, the other piece of all of this, is that people who focus in on this, they are they literally end up despising the job that they're in. They despise the job of parent and see kids as kind of getting in the way of their purpose. And, mm -hmm. and they are literally told that people who are not supportive in their pursuit of their purpose or their destiny, they've got to take those haters and shove them out of their life and stop listening to their voices and not allowing them to speak to them, which th yeah. there's like, this is crazy talk. Yeah, and that's that's a big Joel Osteen thing. He's always telling people about uh, God's got this thing for you to do, and it's right around the corner. And you just and, and you're going to have some negative people in your life who who don't support you in your dream. So you got to get rid of them. You know how many times has I mean we'll never know, but how many times have people heard that message 
and they had some really loving people in their lives who were trying to talk some sense into them. Yeah. And because of Joel Osteen or somebody like that, they said, I'm not going to listen to my mom anymore. She's a, she's a negative Nancy. She doesn't think I can be this thing that I'm pretending I can be. When in fact, maybe you really can't be that thing. This is like the Disney Disneyfication of the church. You know, Disney always sells you on the idea that you're going to be a princess. You're going to have your dreams come true. I'm not going to and, be a princess. And, no way. Yeah, no. You're not <laughs> even going to be a prince. I mean, here's a really, you know, here's a cynical, but I, I, I dare anybody to, to tell me I'm wrong. If you look at the church system of the uh, professional speakers, they are not really ministers. They're professional speakers. They sell books. They sell tickets. They tell you stuff that makes you feel good about yourself, that something is coming around the corner. You're not being pointed back to Christ and what he's already done for you. You're being told something's really big, and it involves you. It doesn't just involve people in general. It involves you. And so you're getting all pumped up, and you never really get the thing that they tell you you're going to get. But you do believe that you're going to get it. And you have to hear the guy again. You got to buy his next book. You got to come see him when he's in town the next time he visits for some stupid convention. It's almost it goes here, on, man. On, on. It's almost here. Yeah. It's almost here. And it's been going on for decades. You know, and my hope is that somebody who reads my article or watches this little thing we're doing now, they're like, yeah, you know what? I have been chasing something, this thing that I never really even believed in to begin with. Somebody told me I was supposed to believe in it. You know, somebody pumped me up and told me that I've got this dream and I didn't know what it was. And they said, well, it has to do with your desires. And then I'm, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I used to want to be a race car driver when I was a teenager. Maybe that's what my dream is. Yes, that's what God is telling you. Yeah. So you, you, you just conjure up all this stuff that is in many cases not connected with reality and it doesn't do any good. And it doesn't build the kingdom of God. It confuses you. It throws you off course. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really frustrating for us, you know, because we've seen this. We've heard stories. We've lived it ourselves. And um, it's coming from a lot of different angles. It's not just in one church or the other. It's it's actually uh, a, a big element of church growth is incorporating all these positive thinking, motivational speech type ideas that have nothing to do with Christianity. And they've entered into the church and it actually looks like it's working for a while because you can tickle people's ears and you can get them to show up because they're all pumped up and they think they're going to get their dream destiny thingy. But those people wind up whimpering away. They they eventually leave these churches and they're confused by the whole experience. Yeah, and we're trying to reach those people. Yeah, and yeah. and so, so 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 the idea is this: if you're watching this video or you're listening to this on a podcast, and you're thinking, you know, my breakthrough never keeps showing up. I keep being told it's just around the corner and that the season of breakthrough is upon us and stuff like that. And and I'm still not a world-changing ballerina or princess. Um, the, here's the thing. You actually haven't been taught Christianity. You you actually know nothing about what it means to actually be a disciple of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. And what you're being taught is nonsense. And it's purposely designed to play on your own vanity and your mm-hmm. own greed and your own narcissism. And that's the problem. You know, it, and it, I'll be blunt. You need to repent because you're the problem and you're a sinner. And you've literally tried to turn Jesus into an idol who exists to make you, well, glorious. But that's not why Christ came. He's called you to take up your cross 
and to follow him, which is to admit that you have a death sentence, just like he did. And uh, and so uh, Christianity isn't about you finding some dream destiny to take dominion over one of the seven mountains to change the world. No, it's about you repenting of your idolatry and your selfishness and confessing your need of a Savior and receiving and believing that Christ has bled and died for your sins. And now in bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, you do good works for your neighbor, for your neighbor's sake. And he said, well, what's a good work? Are you a mom? Yes. Well, doing a good work is changing diapers and helping your kids with homework and preparing meals and doing the laundry. Are you a dad? Yes. Doing a good work is getting in your car and commuting to work and working in the labyrinth at the cubicle maze at the local corporate headquarters where you work and doing a good job and putting food on the table for your kids and helping them with sports and helping them with their homework and tucking them in at night and teaching them the Christian faith and the scriptures and praying with them. Those are all the good works that we're called to do. And it's humble and it's ordinary and it's not about changing the world. Jesus will change the world when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. We are to live our lives as sacrifices for the sake of our neighbors, which includes our spouses, our children, and our neighbors around us, and meeting their needs simply because they have a need. It's kind of that simple. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break, and we come back to the balance of today's pirate gang conversation regarding how not to shipwreck your faith. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Come in. Hello, I'm here for my two o'clock appointment. Yes, Mrs. Staley, is it? That's me. Have a seat. So, what is it I can do for you today? I was hoping that I could upgrade my prayer account today. That is excellent. Let me just look up your information. It looks like you've been with us for about three years. That's right. And you're currently a member of a spiritual growth prayer package. Yes. Well, that's not good. What's not good? It says here that your account, even after three years of accumulated dream interest, is still classified at a micro prayer level. What does that mean? It means that your current dream destiny balance is non-existent. 
it, it says that you have experienced zero spiritual growth. That's very disturbing. There must be some kind of mistake. Well, we can easily fix this. I'm just going to pull up your pre-appointment questionnaire. Okay. It says here that you pray at least four to six times a week. That's good. You tie 10% of your income to your local church. That's very good. You're happily married. You have two children and... Oh. What's oh? Well, in the career box, you've put an A. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So what you're saying is that you don't have a real job. It certainly feels like a real job to me. Okay, then. So what can we do to fix my account balance? For starters, we'll go over your current dream projections for the next fiscal church year. That'll give us a baseline to work from. So, what are your big plans for this year? Well, I'm currently trying to potty train my two-year-old by summertime. Uh Uh-huh. I'm trying to grow my own vegetables in my back garden. Okay. And my husband and I are also saving up money to fix our roof. Well, then. That explains a lot. What do you mean? It's painfully clear to me that you're simply not dreaming big enough. Not big enough? Well, the doy. Potty training, vegetables, and roofs are chump change and are simply unworthy of a mega prayer account. Oh, so what do you suggest I do? Well, first things first, you're going to need to get a real career. It really doesn't matter as long as it's related with fame, fortune, or glory. Uh... Secondly, you need to rid yourself of these pathetic micro-prayers. God doesn't have time to listen to such puny little things. What would be your current dream car? Probably a minivan, so I could have enough room for the kids and groceries. I think I just threw it in my mouth a little bit. Okay, instead of a minivan... Uh, Why not pray for a Maserati? I couldn't afford the insurance. That's what the career is for. See, you're so trapped by your own micro-dreams that you can't see your potential. I don't want a career. I love being a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) I can't believe what I'm hearing. No wonder you've experienced zero spiritual growth. I I bet you're the type of person that prays for daily bread and, and for the forgiveness of their sins. Why, yes, actually. Get out of my office! This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association 
of Lutheran Churches. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the Dream Destiny thingy doctrine will shipwreck your faith. And it will, but it wasn't the Christian faith to begin with. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The last one says become a patron. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. And by picking the amount, you pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Please support us. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, we truly do need your support. Uh, if you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time donation, click on the Donate button. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way. Make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Here's the balance of today's conversation recorded earlier with Stephen Kozar and Amy Spreeman about how not to shipwreck your faith. Here we go. Yeah. You know, and I have never been so unsatisfied with my faith as when I've 10 years ago lost sight of that, what you just said, Chris, about what the gospel is, uh, who I am. Um, unfortunately, I got into the swirling narcissism that was all about me, me, me. And, uh, it, and it led to just a, a dreadful um, sickness in me that I've had to repent of, but I can see it now and I can, I can see others in it and, and help them. And that's what I think that I can most do 
do in, in serving in this way. But uh, I tell you, I, I remember um, very vividly another aspect we haven't talked about yet, and that is the psychological aspect. When we bring in um, human psychology into the church, into our understanding of who we are and, and how we um, operate our psyches, uh, that self-examination continually is just so harmful. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly asking God to show us something to, you know, and, and we're, we're using him. We're, we're, we're leveraging God for our own gain. Um, and, and it's awful. And, and I feel so bad that that happened, but, uh, you know, the Lord can, um, forgive and he has. And, uh, so now we step forward and we've got a new mission field of people who are still stuck in that. Um, yeah. I remember one New Year's, you know, New Year mm-hmm. seems to be the time when everybody does their vision casting. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember the, the whole congregation received these, these little rocks, these stones. Um, smooth stones and a, a pen. They passed out pens to 2,000 people. And you were supposed to write down what big thing uh, you sensed that God wanted you to do this year. And then they collected the stones up on the altar and they were going to build something with them. But um, I, I can't tell you how many, <laughs> how miserably I failed at accomplishing my stone. Uh, but that was the topic of conversation rather than Christ Jesus our Lord. We got to tell, well, what did you write on your stone rather than who died for you, uh, you know. So uh, we really have to be careful when we look at these things. Yeah. Well, and one of the ways that that gets, uh, it gets misconstrued is you say, well, oh, we're talking about Jesus dying for us, but yeah. if we really believe he died for us, what are we going to do in return for him? That That's the part of the equation that makes people go, oh, yeah, that's that's true. I didn't do anything for Jesus. He gave me this gift of salvation. Now I got to spend the rest of my life paying him back. And, and, and that's how you can manipulate people. That's how churches can grow and appear to be doing something really good for a time. And in some churches, there's a blending of a good gospel message and some of that stuff. So, you know, we're painting with a broad brush here, but a lot of people are in a church where they're getting a mixture of these things and it's hard for them to figure out which is which. Yeah. And see, here's the thing. It's a false dichotomy. And I mean, even the scriptures say, you know, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says, if, you know, if we are, if this is all about this life and we're focusing on this, then we're to be pitied, you know, but Christ has bled and died and we are looking forward to the hope of the new world, the new, the resurrection, new heavens, new earth. And in this life, we are called to suffer. We are called to endure persecution. And uh, we're all heading to our graves in this life. If Christ, Christ doesn't return you know, in the next you know few decades, I'm going to be you know put in the ground like everybody else. You know, we're, we all are, and 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 so the idea then is is that that in the i this kind of this false dichotomy, as if somehow focusing in on the gospel makes it so that you have no that you are so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is, is that when you're truly heavenly minded, you are of eternally earthly good for your neighbor, for your neighbor's sake. And so biblical Christianity does teach us that we do our good works for our neighbor's sake because we are saved. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't do good works. I mean, that, that beast doesn't exist. I mean, you know, I might as well believe in a jackalope or a gruffalo or something like that. You know, the, the, these, these are mythical creatures. Um, you know, just like the you know the Christian who doesn't do good works. The problem is, is that the, all of their emphasis on changing the world and somehow having that be the focus is the wrong emphasis. We are to do our good works for our neighbor's sake, and then the idea is, is that as we are going, we 
proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, and people are brought to penitent faith in Christ. The gospel is something that every Christian can share, and it's through the gospel. You know, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, that God raises people from the dead, brings them to penitent faith in Christ, and sets them on the course of doing good works for the sake of neighbor. And as the gospel spreads, it has a collective impact uh, you know, as Christians grow as a, a overall number in the population, they have a they have a collective impact on the warp and woof of a of a society or a culture. And one of the reasons why uh, the United States and Western civilization is getting darker and worse is because people aren't preaching the gospel. They've lost all confidence in the Word of God. And it's all this nonsense, this chasing of our tails to find our purpose that's actually getting in the way and also aggravating the situation. I, I, yep. I think you can literally make an argument that all of this emphasis on growing the church by telling people what they want to hear, which is what the purpose-driven church is about, the whole church growth movement is about, has accelerated uh, the growth of rank sin in our society as 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 Christianity has had a less and less impact because people are hearing what they want to hear rather than being confronted with their sins and having Christ placarded. Okay. Let me take off on that because the, especially the generation that's in their twenties and thirties, they grew up on nothing but marketing, 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 marketing. They've, they've heard nothing but catchphrases and seen logos and been told what to buy and what to believe and all this stuff. And when the church does the same exact thing, it's an embarrassment. The church is embarrassing itself by pandering to people and promising things to people that the church never had the authority to give them. And it's neglecting its true purpose. And I think that the church that just says, hey, you know, we're old. We believe things that have been around for a long time, and we're not going to change them to pander to you because, honestly, that wouldn't actually help you. That would be, that would be just a pathetic advertising campaign. I think the church needs to get honest with people if we expect them to show up on Sunday morning and to take us seriously. And and it's we've we've um, in many of these churches we've adopted this lowest common denominator mentality. We're going to get the people who are thinking the least about anything. We're going to get those people in the door by telling them what they want to hear, and then we're going to be shocked when it turns out that these people are really shallow and aren't really contributing to church and aren't taking their faith seriously. Well, of course they're not. You didn't take your faith seriously to begin with in the way that you you know, preached to them. It wasn't even preaching. You were pandering to people. And so, you know, like as a, as a, um, a guy who's been a evangelical since I was a teenager, I'm seeing my kids' generation abandoning their faith to a very large extent, and I, um, on one hand, want to say I don't blame you. I honestly don't blame you for, for abandoning this modern catchphrase-based uh, pandering version of Christianity. I've abandoned it too, but I haven't abandoned my actual Christian faith. I've just dug deeper into what, what, what does the Bible really teach so that I can have a faith that's based on God's Word, not based on what some guy just told me who just started a new church in a storefront three weeks ago. Yeah, I think uh, one of the worst, but unfortunately most influential uh, people, uh, books, uh, if you will, in recent years has been one, Chris, that you've uh, reviewed, and that is uh, Stephen Furtick's Sun Stand Still. Uh, A lot of churches did that as small group studies. And if you don't mind, can I read just a a paragraph that he wrote about the purpose for his book? Could I I, I just go ahead? Yeah, yeah. I need to go get my 
I have a vomit bucket uh, in the other room. I might want to bring that <laughs> in here. Keep that handy because here we go. Um, he writes this. He says, with God's help, I intend to incite a riot in your mind. Trip your breakers and turn out the lights in your favorite hiding places, insecurity and fear. Then flip the switch back on so that God's truth can illuminate the divine destiny that may have been lying dormant inside you for years. In short, I am out to activate your audacious faith to inspire you to ask God for the impossible and in the process to reconnect you with your God-sized purpose and potential. You could think of this book as a one-volume theology of audacity. You probably don't have one of those yet, but it's essential. In fact, if you ever encounter a theology that doesn't directly connect the greatness of God with your potential to do great things on his behalf— it is not biblical theology. File oh. it under heresy. And then oh. one more sentence. He says, I'll take that further. If oh. you're not daring to believe God for the impossible, you're sleeping through some of the best parts of your Christian life. And further still, if the size of your dream for your life isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance it's insulting to God. Oh. Yeah, so I'm insulting God because I don't have uh, a impossible God-sized audacious. One of the synonyms for audacious yeah. is foolish, by the way. Um, yeah, look it up in the thesaurus, but uh, yeah, wow. So uh, that that's that's absurd. And uh, notice the heavy burden that is then put on people. Yes. Okay. And and and, yeah. here, and here's the interesting thing: it's not a heavy burden of I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And and which would would mean the only thing I I have then is Christ and Him crucified. Instead, this is a heavy burden now because now oh no oh I'm not thinking I'm not dreaming a big enough dream, and now I'm insulting God. And by the way, the idea of insulting God has as its ramifications. Oh, good night. I'm going to go to hell. Okay, because you know, you, could you imagine standing before God and Him going, I'm insulted by you. <laughs> I gave you a dream, right? Remember that dream I planted in your heart? It was lying you didn't dormant with it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and so you know, immediately the question comes up: Are people going to go to hell on the day of judgment because they didn't dream a big enough dream, and they're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to cross his arms and just say, "Get out of my presence! I never knew you. Your audacious dream was doo doo. It wasn't big enough, and I'm insulted by it." You know. <laughs> I don't want to meet that Jesus, man, that, 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 but that's not the Jesus of yeah. scripture. It's a totally different thing. And so um, now, now imagine the, the sheer anxiety that somebody's going through. Oh, so the thing that Jesus really wants from me is a big, big dream. And I got to go. And, and, and so now they're, they're constantly measuring. Have I become famous enough? Have I become rich enough? Have I become sexy yeah. enough? You know? You know, which we, you know, and and Stephen Furtick, of course, is the guy who has to himself demonstrate through his own life and his own success and even his own steroid-induced muscles that he is he's he's the quintessential apex of what it means to be the guy who has the influence, the power, the beauty, the wealth to you know and. And it's all a sham because everybody there is there. They want to be the next Stephen Furtick. And they can't be the next Stephen Furtick. That's the thing. There's only one guy at the top of that pyramid scheme. And it's the guy telling you that you're going to get all the things that he has. And you won't. None of these people who read that book 
had anything happen except that they they got all excited for a while and it kept them in the thing. It kept, and this is exactly what Amway does with the motivational stuff. You're told about this thing that's coming and you're getting all pumped up about it. And it requires an egomaniac who's got really great communication skills, yep. who's a great manipulator to make this whole thing work. And that's what yeah. we have in these megachurch pastors. They're great manipulators. They, they are constantly pulling strings like a puppet master. Every time they go on stage, they're thinking, how can I get people to do what I want them to do? And if, and if, you're, if you're under somebody like that, I tell you, dear listener, it's, it's your fault eventually because we're telling you about it, and it's really clear from Scripture that these are not men of God. These yeah. are people who are manipulating you. They're getting rich off of you. They're building an earthly kingdom. They're telling you things that aren't true, and you like them. And, and you've got to stop liking them. You've got to return to the true Jesus. It, like a guy like Stephen Furtick and all the people in that category, they all say it's all about Jesus. And then they talk about themselves and their own church and all the stuff that they've done and what they're about to do. They don't actually talk about Jesus. They just say they right. do, and that's enough. Yeah. It's like a cover story. I, it's all about Jesus, folks. And then you've got to have this manipulative music play for half an hour to put you in that kind of semi-hypnotic state. So now you're willing to accept whatever the guy says. Oh, man, I'm getting worked up. Can we can well, we take a veer in this? Or, go ahead, Amy. <laughs> I was just going to say, Steve, you know, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I'm sorry I got you all worked up with that uh, that intro okay. to Stephen's book. But, you know, um, I got to thinking, uh, you know, how how did this book and how did this idea impact people who went through these in small group studies or hearing the messages from the pulpit. And so um, I went on social media yesterday and just posted that question. Um, you know, I'm doing some research for uh, fighting for the faith and um, just wondering if any of you uh, were ever told you had to do something big and have this audacious uh, yeah. thing that only God could accomplish. And since last night, I got dozens and dozens and dozens of responses. Um, a couple of them said, you know, uh, it made me feel awful about myself, that my faith obviously wasn't great enough for God to move after taking a step of faith with something specific. And I spent 15 years of my walk with Christ like this. Just horrible stories. Um, here's a woman who said, it hindered me greatly because I felt I wasn't able to live for Christ if I did anything less less than to live out his prophecy. Uh, she said, I, I remember one time we had to create an art piece where we put the phrase, here I am, Lord, send me, I'll go. Of course, it was a reference to how we were supposed to be uh, uh, just like the, the people in the Bible. And uh, of course, the thing never happened. And so, um, you know, my one lady said, my dream destiny to become a successful and influential person in my field of choice never materialized. And these people are um, sad. They, they, you know, they became depressed about this. Very what do you much. do with that? What yeah, do you I, do with that? Th that is one of the most uh, heartbreaking things about this topic, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing for you to, um, you know, uh, do one of those. Uh, what, what is that? Publisher's Clearinghouse thing where you send it in yeah. the mail. I did that when I was young. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I did too. And then as soon as you send in one, they send 10, ten more and they uh. keep sending you more until you just, you know, drop yeah. it and you eventually get off the mail. But, you know, you don't really expect to win one of those. Right. You, you think it would be kind of cool to win some money, but you don't really think about it much. Now, what what's happening to these people is the polar opposite. They're putting everything they have into this idea that God is 
promising them something that he's not promising. God is promising them the forgiveness of their sins. Mm-hmm. And what they're being told is God is promising them that they're going to have these great dreams come true in their life. And that is an incredibly damaging to a person's emotional state. Yep. That's why when I wrote that article, The Charismatic Guide to Losing Your Mind, I think it really is true. It's a form of losing your mind. You become disconnected from reality. And, and that's, a, that's a thing that people do when they have great trauma. They can't deal with reality because it's so painful to consider what's actually taking place. So they just they become even more delusional and, and more um, mentally unstable as a result. Yeah. It's real and it's happening. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and what's really sad is how they twist Scripture in this sense. I mean, the, 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 the quintessential passage that they come up with regarding this, you have to have a big, gi- ginormous dream, is they take Hebrews 11.6 out of context that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they interpret that as, see, you, 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 you've got to have faith that for a big thing, because if it doesn't require faith, then it's not from God, and it's not pleasing to God. And which, by the way, just go back and read Hebrews eleven in context, and you can see that the reference is saving faith, number one, and faith in the word of God. When when God's word came to these people and had them do different exploits, but as you read through I, uh, Hebrews eleven, you're going to know it. it it, the whole thing changes from talking about the patriarchs, you know, by faith Abraham did these things, by faith Moses, by faith Samson, and then it gets to the Christian martyrs. By faith, these people refused to, you know, accept release and were torn apart by wild beasts and animals and, and were martyred for the Christian faith. And so the idea then is is that faith is a very important thing in Scripture, but faith is like eyesight. It, it has a focus. Faith always is looking to something, for something. So, you know, I'm, I have faith that my chair is going to hold my, my ever-expanding butt up when I sit down on it, right? So, uh, you know, so I have faith in my chair. Um, but f- Scripture tells us to have faith, but it's faith in Jesus Christ, not for a big dream destiny, but for reconciliation with the Father, forgiveness of yep. our sins, um, that, that, that faith that through the working of the Word that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to sanctify us, that the, that the Holy Spirit is going to bear fruit in our life, and, those, and that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and, um, and faith that the good works that we're doing in the, in the ordinary that we we find ourselves in as husband, wife, father, mother, child, employer, employee, that these good works are pleasing to God because God's Word says so. So faith that God's Word is true, faith in the real promises that we are given, and these other promises that God has not given, He's not required to grant or to... Uh, 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 you know, basically, you know, uh, answer. And the reason why people are experiencing the shipwreck is because they've been sold a pill of goods. God has not promised you a dream destiny. Promise you, if, if you dream big, He's going to come in and swoop in and make you influential and powerful and you know, prosperous and all this kind of nonsense. And when that doesn't happen to you, you think Christianity isn't true. Reality is, you haven't been taught Christianity. You've been you've been yep. filled you've been sold a bill of goods. You've been somebody sold you some magic beans, and it turns out that those weren't even magic. Even they weren't even magic at all. You can plant them in the ground. You're all you're going to get are beans. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's sad, but that's the truth. And so this is real the real dark side then of this false doctrine. 
it creates a- expectation, but it also creates this heavy burden that people have, you know, <laughs> they've got to go and do these, these amazing things for God and few, if any, actually accomplish them. You know, the outliers somehow get exalted. They become the next seeker driven leaders and, you know, and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, for every one person that, that something amazing happened and they were able to go and influence a bazillion people, you, you got literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands who, you know, they're pursuing their dream destiny and nothing happening except for they continue to live in Poughkeepsie and, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, and their roof is leaking, you know, <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, you know, and back to Steve's article about losing your mind, uh, it really is a progression. And and Steve, you take us through that progression. But uh, one of the uh, points of your article is that eventually we start to get this feeling that maybe we are engaged in some cult-like behavior. But there's this need to cling on to that, isn't there? I mean, you you know, you you just are in this state of denial. Yeah, and I I referenced another article at the bottom of that article about confirmation bias. And I yes. think it's really helpful when Christians understand that this idea of confirmation bias is a very real part of our sinful human existence, where it, it basically means that whatever we currently believe, uh, we will take in information that, that goes along with our currently held, held beliefs, and we will reject any information that conflicts with our currently held beliefs. So uh, in p- politics, you only listen to that one channel that already agrees with you. You know, uh, in 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 uh, Christianity, if you're a if you're a hyper charismatic, you listen to the people in that field, and you will reject anybody who says anything else. Um, yeah, and, and we all do it, and it's it's something that we all struggle with. Um, but in in this uh, world of having this dream destiny thingy implanted in you, uh, confirmation bias plays a really vital role, and the people that you're listening to are propping up constantly the idea that, no, 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 don't give up on your dream. It's, it's almost here. That's Satan telling you that you, that you should give up on your dream. You don't want to give in to Satan, do you? Oh, you just got to hang in just a little bit longer. And by the way, here's my latest book. And by the way, you know, come see me at the next conference and buy tickets. They're always selling you crap. That's what they're doing, people. They're just selling you crap. That's all it is. And they're shipwrecking your faith in the process, and they don't care. They don't care about you. These are not godly men and women who teach this kind of stuff. So, yeah, get rid of this confirmation bias and just ask yourself a real gut-wrenching, honest series of questions. You know, does the Bible really teach this? If if yeah. it's true, mm-hmm. uh, as as your article talks about it and mine talks about this idea that the kind of the core of our faith is that we need to find the dream that God has planted in our heart so that we can live out that dream to experience our destiny. If that's true... Don't you think it would be mentioned a few times in the Bible? I mean, really mentioned a few times. Yeah, and don't like, you think like when, fleshed out is a doctrine. Yes, you know? yes, as a doctrine, because they're teaching it like it's a doctrine. But uh, like example, um, when, when Paul was writing to Timothy or to Titus, don't you think when he was giving them his pastoral epistles and he was explaining to them, here's the things you need to do as a pastor, he would have said, now remember, Timothy, my, my dear son, uh, make sure that everybody believes in their own personal dream destinies because that's how God accomplishes his will in the earth. He never said anything like that. Jesus never said anything like that. This is so obvious. But it's this confirmation bias and the and the fact that you keep going back to the same teachers, you keep going. It's it's like that thing about the dog returning to its vomit. It's not a very nice thing to say, but that's kind of what people become when you're in this world. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you, you think about, I mean, it's it's just so crazy that they keep trying the same things over and over and over again in order to get God to supercharge and give them a breakthrough so they can finally experience their purpose, which kind of begs the question. I mean, if that's if really God created you for a purpose, why is it that it's so beholden to you to make sure that you make yourself worthy to do the purpose thing? And why is God so slow in actually putting you to work at the thing he created you to do? And why do I need yeah. to buy these guys' books and listen to their seminars and go to their conferences in order mm-hmm. to finally, once and for all, be able to do what God created me to do? And then, of course, that begs the question, how were people fulfilling their purpose for the last 2,000 years before these guys came along? Yeah. Good question. You know, you know, part of it is this this idea that we need to be successful because it's up to us to make it happen. You know, you only get this one life, um, so you kind of lose sight of you know your your life is no longer yours. It's been bought with a price. But uh, but you again, you only get this one life, and um, you have to be an achiever. Or if you've uh, been messed up in your life somehow before, you have to be an overcomer. And uh, this idea that that's why you're here to be an overcomer, um, which, by the way, we do need to repent of our sins and overcome through Christ. But uh, what happens when you fall off the wagon? You know, whose fault is that? Is that God's fault? So so you really get kind of mixed up about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And there's there's no talk of like real holiness. There's no real conviction of like real sins. You know, so now we've got this weird nebulous command of God to fulfill my purpose, while the real commandments, the ten of them, totally ignored and, you know, never really explicated or talked about in any meaningful way. And so there's no concept of real sanctification of, you know, of what really truly is a sin. But the the only sin that exists now is is purposelessness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How does how does how does humility fill in fit into that whole equation? I don't I don't even know how it's possible for you to be humble if you think that the Christian life is centered around you achieving some great thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's that you are just completely opposed to one another. Well, you would think so, Steve, but you see a lot of people who get uh, praised for being humble. Um, and, and nice, but yet they're shoveling this bad theology uh, down the throats of sheep. And, you know, but the, the sheep say, well, he's humble, right? So, yeah, he told uh, so me he's that's humble. a fruit. That's why yeah. he must be um, humble. He, you know, he acts all you. nice. And <laughs> so, so you have to watch out for that as well. So, because remember, even the, the atheists can be humble and nice sounding at times, um, but they're still not right with God. Yeah. So. May I propose a humble test for uh, seeker-driven pastors? <laughs> Just a simple one. And okay. it's, it's real simple. Um, listen to their sermon and ask yourself, who are they preaching about? And like tally up the time. You know, if, if it's a 40-minute sermon, okay, how many minutes of the sermon do they talk about things in their own life and themselves? And how much of it do they talk about Jesus and actually read out a biblical text pointing us to Christ? Now, I understand as a pastor, you can use a personal life anecdote as an illustration to help somebody understand a biblical text. But if at the end of the day, the the score is Jesus 1, seeker-driven pastor 99, uh, there's a problem here. And they would fail the humble test, you know. Yeah. I was just thinking about how um, I wrote this article about the hyper charismatic movement, and it also 
uh, many of these things are applicable to the seeker-friendly movement. And I just was thinking, it seems to me that uh, the seeker-friendly kind of big-box non-denominational churches are becoming more closely aligned with New Apostolic Reformation theology. And And I'm thinking that part of that reason might be because they both start with this false dream destiny stuff. If you are not getting your breakthrough, well, maybe we need to do some more of this kind of uh, hocus pocus, um, like what Kosti Hinn's new book talks about, the the mystical miracle movement. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're seeking the Holy Spirit now so that we can get things from God that we're not getting in the kind of ordinary ways that churches used to function. So we, now, now we need to have a special service where we really seek after God and we really want to burn for God and we want to really get the breakthrough. Uh, in that article, I posted a bunch of uh, photos of conventions and books mm-hmm. and uh, memes from all these breakthrough things. And if you just type in prophetic breakthrough conference, there's just an endless stream yes, of conference yeah. advertisements. Yeah. So, so there's this built-in thing within the hyper-charismatic movement, which is kind of blending into a lot of big box churches that says, we all need a breakthrough. Well, actually, the, the breakthrough, if there ever was one, was that our, our, our sins were forgiven. That, that already took place when, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So I don't know what breakthrough you're talking about. Oh, oh I know what it is. It's the breakthrough that we got to get our dreams to come true. That phony dream yeah. thing that you, you're you responsible for telling us about this phony dream thing that we're not getting. And now you're spending the rest of your time trying to convince us that our breakthrough is right around the corner. The whole thing is their fault. The false teaching is all coming from them. But as long as you stay within it, you'll never get out of it. You'll, you'll, you'll constantly be buying more books. You'll be going to more conventions. And you'll be hearing the same crap over and over again. And and you just got to remove yourself from it. And it's, it's so much yeah. like the Amway business that I was in back in the 90s. It's really weird how closely uh, similar it is. Because yeah. you were always told in Amway that you're going to get this this dream. You have to believe in a dream. You've got you to believe and have a dream. And the, the money is not an important thing. The money is just a means to get your dream. So when you build your business and you get really big, you're going to help people and you're going to change the world. And, oh, by the way, you're going to have a really fancy house with a gigantic swimming pool and fancy It's not really the, the real purpose. The purpose is that you're going to make a difference in the world. Yeah. It's the same thing. And no one ever did. No one ever did. I was in it for four years. And I, I wasted all this time and energy. But I was in this closed system of ideas. It's a cluster of ideas, and they all depend on each other. And that's what we're seeing with this dream destiny thing. And it's worse in the charismatic movement because it's been linked up with the worst aspects of Pentecostal doctrine. Yeah, and they've ignored right. the crucified Lord. Because if you look at some of the early Pentecostals, I, I think they had some errors for sure. But they didn't have the crucifixion wrong. They, they still believe that Jesus died for our sins. That's been thrown out the window in most cases now. Jesus died on the cross so that you can have your dreams is what they're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. Indeed. Yeah, and uh, the, the problem with uh, some of that is when the dreams don't work, when the breakthroughs don't happen, um, they're starting to manufacture these miracles. So now you're expectant of God to provide uh, miracles to kind of keep you – uh, in this movement, in this expectation that your breakthrough will come. And so, you know, how can you prepare your heart for a miracle and, and what's going to happen? And um, you're, you're seeing all these these people uh, waiting for this anointing to happen, waiting for 
something to overcome them. Usually it's based in emotionalism. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't happen for you and it's happening for everyone else, you're thinking, why isn't this happening for me? Why am I not getting the liver shivers? Well, uh, aren't I good enough, God? Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Yeah, you know, right. So there's all sorts of manipulation that happens that is just dreadfully harmful uh, to the people who are true believers in Christ. Yeah. And I was the guy. I was the guy who who went to the um, the, the hyper charismatic services, and I'm like, I, I'm just being honest here, folks, but I don't feel anything. And frankly, you're all acting kind of weird. Because I, I mean, I remember I was the worship guy uh, up on the stage. I'll never forget this one Sunday, and I was playing drums. So you're behind that little plexiglass cage for the sound man, so it doesn't leak out into the audience. And at the end of the service, we would always do some songs for all the really serious Christians who wanted to come up to the front and receive whatever. They wanted to receive something. And there was this one lady. What was she doing with her hands? She was doing this like like she was trying to stir up the Holy Spirit with her hands. Like I, I'm trying to remember what it was. It wasn't pushing it. It wasn't. It, it was like I, I was sitting there playing the drums and I was watching this lady. And I'm like, this whole thing is just so stupid. Stupid. This is ridiculous. At best, this is a bunch of deluded people. But at worst, this is the literal conjuring up of spirits. Yeah. Because that's what it looked like to me. She was doing this thing where she was trying to get something. Where, and I've seen it in a lot of videos since then at other, you know, similar yeah. events. And the idea then is that y y all of these bizarre things that you're talking about is that one of the major themes of uh, the false teachers then in this regard is that they now focus the devil's attention to stopping you from achieving your dream destiny, which, yep. funny enough, then leads to bizarre doctrines like the sneaky squid spirit. You know, hmm. as, as, as bizarre as the sneaky squid is, it actually serves a function in the mythology of this false doctrine because yeah. the, the demonic forces are now being marshaled against you to keep you from fulfilling your dream or having your breakthrough, and so, you know, they, of course, are the ones who have the the counter curses that you can invoke against the sneaky squids and the Jezebel spirit and the Python spirit and all of these, you know, this zoo, this new uh, demonic zoology that they come up with, <laughs> you know, that. But, and they wonder why did how come we're not how come our church isn't growing as much as we want it to. Or I imagine like a, uh, somebody in, in our age group who has adult children who aren't going to church anymore. And I'm like, look at your service. Look at the weird stuff you people are talking about. It has nothing to do with Orthodox Christianity anymore. You're talking about demons and magic spells and potions and all this weird anointing and mantles. It, it's, it's creepy. And it, it is not working. And you've been talking this way for decades, perhaps. And it, should you really be surprised that you're losing friends and family and they're and they're dropping out? Yeah. I mean, and and what's weird is that then in that in that kind of, you know, society, you call it a culture or something, the, the, the more outlandish you are, the more popular you become. I mean, it was fascinating to me that uh, uh, Steve Schultz of the uh, Elijah List, early in the year, he interviewed Kat Kerr and um, and literally has taken this woman seriously. This is the woman who could not force Hurricane Irma to uh, to turn around, you know, and we 
clear video footage of her, you know, decreeing and declaring and talking to this hurricane. Yeah, and it's, he's a nut job. And still, you know, and you know, her and her purple hair. And, you know, he's talking to her and, and, you know, saying, you know, I've never been to heaven. But, you know, she says, oh, I go there all the time. You know, I'm just the Lord just takes me up whenever he wants. And it happens on a daily basis. No big deal. And and, and then God has revealed to me who the next five presidents are going to be. And, of course, she doesn't name any of them. You know, it's like, well, prove it. You know, <laughs> prove it, lady. He just takes her at face value. And, and this it's just utter nonsense. But, of course, that's kind of where this all goes to. There seems to, you know, biblical Christianity, as soon as you get rid of it and you chase after this nonsense, you end up as a real possible destination, you know, the the, the Looney Tunes, really bizarre NAR, Weather Warrior, Lance Wall now, Cat Kerr and Jennifer LeClaire, Sneaky Squid stuff. But it's it, that all is actually that that all plays into this you've got to change the world and have a dream destiny thing it actually fits with that theology yeah part of the problem too i think when you get these these younger uh converts at least it happened this way for me uh you're just on fire and you want to please the lord uh where do you go well besides um, church where you're learning you know hopefully uh scripture you take yourself and your family down to that christian bookstore and you 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 know you're i'm a christian now this is i i need to find out more yeah and what do you see? You see uh, Joyce Meyer, you see Beth Moore, you see all sorts of people yeah. right front and center with their big posters, uh, their new movies that have come out, you know, the Bible miniseries is there. And you start buying all this stuff because you just want you just want God. You don't know any better. Yeah. Um, and, and you start consuming this stuff. And pretty soon you start going to these um, concerts, these revival stadium things, and you're caught. You're caught in this this net. And unless there's somebody there discerning enough to come alongside and using that word, but come along and, and disciple you properly, um, you're never going to get out of it because you're not going to know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so right, Amy, about the bookstore thing. I I never go to those stores, and a lot a lot of them are closing, thankfully. Yeah, <clears throat> like Mark Mark Batterson. When I was looking up images for my article, yeah. he had all these quotes about uh, you know God wants you to do some outrageous thing, and if your if your dreams don't scare you, they're they're all saying the same things. They're all you can just imagine these right. pastors who are, are not studying their Bibles at all. They're sitting in their office for hours just saying. How can I rephrase the thing that Stephen Furtick made famous? But how can I rephrase it so I can use it for the sermon series that I'm about to do? Yeah, you know, and they're all the same cliches. They're just repackaged right. slightly. And, and the bookstores may stuff. be closing though, um, but all those books are ending up somewhere. Well, where are yep. they? They're at Barnes and Noble, but they're also at places like Hobby Lobby. Um, maybe I'll post these. I, I went last week. Uh, I had some things I had to do, and I went to Hobby Lobby. And there were four bookshelves full of the worst theological error you could ever imagine. Walmart. And uh, I, I ended up, yeah, I ended up yeah. taking pictures of these things. I, they probably thought I was casing the joint, but um, yeah, it, it's <laughs> there, there was nothing good, nothing right. edifying, right. nothing that points you to the pure loveliness of Scripture. So that that's where it is. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point too. I took a picture when I was uh, at a Walmart about a year ago in Tennessee, and it's the same stuff they're selling here, I yeah. think. And I posted it on the Fighting for the Faith crew Facebook page. And it was it was one heretical book after another, and that was the Christian section at a Walmart. And Walmart's yeah. the biggest distributor of stuff in the entire world. So, yeah, I, that, 
now you're getting me depressed, Amy. Thanks so much I'm for sorry. bringing up another aspect to this. Man, this have some more coffee. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, I, you know I used to go and turn the titles around just because there were only one or two, but now it would just be exhausting and it would be a nonstop job. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my little. And ultimately, all of this stuff, all of this false doctrine, you chasing after your dream destiny, your purpose, you decreeing, you declaring, you fighting the demons who are trying to keep you from having your your uh, destiny and, and you waiting for your breakthrough that's just around the corner. I promise. I just heard from God and he said it's it's almost here um, that all of this is a um, it's a sham. It's a demonic sham. To take your eyes off of the real Jesus. And the reality is, is that the people who are believing this, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what he's done for them. And they know nothing about their Bible. They're, they're not only biblically yeah. illiterate, they have practically only barely opened the book just a little. They know nothing mm-hmm. about what scripture actually teaches. And that's the scary thing. While at the same time, they will confidently say, I go to a Bible-believing church. No, you right. don't. Yeah, it's a catchphrase. It's yeah. not a Bible-believing church. It's just a catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. Bible-believing church would be a church that actually opens up the Bible and preaches what Scripture says in context and, and points you to and Christ. And even if people go to buy a Bible at Hobby Lobby or Walmart, a lot of times what they're going to find is the Joyce Meyer Study Bible or the— Or the Jesus, Jesus Calling Bible. The Jesus yeah. Calling Bible. I mean— yeah. I don't know how more absurd it could get. Yeah, if Jesus, yeah. Is, Jesus calling, is calling, don't isn't... answer the phone on that one. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's a different oh, Jesus. Man. It's you know, so it is. Yeah, yeah. You want to block that call, but you know, and the good news is, is that if you have um, gone through these these steps and you have lost your mind, <laughs> uh, you can get it back again. Yeah. Um, repent, learn who Jesus really is, and just be in Scripture. Uh, you know, adopt that sola scriptura, that that is your sole authority for who God is, is what you'll read, uh, what he left for us in the Bible. Yep, and on the Fighting for the Faith podcast, one of the things we make a point of doing is, is we, we don't just tear down, we want to build up as well. And right. so, you know, a significant portion of our broadcast week is dedicated to good biblical teaching and good biblical sermons, you know, from a, a plethora of guys who are faithful and rightly handling God's Word and placarding Christ and pointing people to Jesus. And uh, and so and we tried to pull this pull those guys from across the spectrum within uh, the Protestant Reformation so that they can re- recognize this isn't about waving one flag or another when it comes to a particular denomination, but it'll help them understand that 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 th- this is available out there. It's tougher to find, but this is what you're looking for. And so. Um, you know, the person who feels like they've lost their faith after being in the dream destiny thingy branch of Christianity, and you have to put that in air quote, it, that's good that you've lost your faith, but you actually haven't lost the Christian faith. Um, you, it's time for you to actually uh, come to grips with the fact that the Christian faith is different than what you were taught. Right. So, And that, that's a difficult thing for people. You know, it's a, it's a radical change, but I can tell you having gone through it myself that the sense of peace that I have now is uh, is infinitely greater than any conjured up emotionalism that I was feeling from the various churches I went through. And yep. I, and the ordinary Christian life is very good. Mm-hmm. It's this yes. extraordinary Christian life that is actually a burden. 
and it doesn't actually do anything except cause you to become confused, and it actually hurts whatever relationship with God you may have actually had. And it, and and if you're getting out of this thing, I, I encourage people, just like you said, Chris, get into God's Word, get into a good church that actually teaches the Bible in context. Yep. Um, and 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 things will get better. They will not. They may seem bad now because you're having to kind of tear out all this stuff that's been built up in your system for a while. You got to peel off all these layers. But underneath that is yeah, it's and, worth it, and it takes time. And you know, one it of the, you know one of the things that uh, you know I've gone through it, you've gone through it, Steve, and and that is is that it it actually takes a long period of time to unlearn the, the bad theology and the nonsense that you've been taught. And uh, the best place to do that is in a church where the the pastor's placarding Christ is working through biblical texts and actually preaching the word and distinguishing between law and gospel, proclaiming mm-hmm. repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and then uh, and then exalting us, or, you know, exhorting us to good works because we are Christians and and rightly defines what those good works are. Um, that's a good place to unpack all this stuff, and you got to give yourself time because you'll find that even when you start the process, it might be several years down the road that since you've uh, you've you know made the switch, and you sit there and go, "Oh, I can't believe I was hanging on to that thing still," mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's funny yeah. how that 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 works, but um, good conversation, guys. Good conversation, and we will pray that it'll be helpful for some as they are wrestling with these uh, these very topics and issues themselves. And uh, we will pray that uh, they recognize that they haven't been taught the Christian faith, that they're chasing after their dream, destiny, purpose thingy. Uh, but instead, uh, that this is the stuff that will literally leave them in the lurch. And, uh, you know, and, it, and that's not a bad place to be because then at that point you realize none of what you were taught is actually true. It's quite the opposite. So thank you for your time, guys, and uh, look forward to... Uh, doing this again in a future installment. Yeah, thank Thanks, you, Chris. Chris. Again soon. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyro Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>